Welcome to 24 Hour Expert, where we challenge each other to see what we can learn on random topics in just a day. I'm Allie. And I'm Amy. Let's see what we've learned. All right, Al, are you ready for this week's episode? I am. Let's do it. So you don't actually know what this week's topic is. I do not. It's another mystery topic for me. It is. So I was oscillating between two. So I was either going to do home economics because I find it fascinating and I never really got to participate and I may still do that someday. But somehow I took a side road to magazines. So that's what we're talking about today is magazines. Oh, okay. Let's do it. Do you still read any magazines? I want to. And I'll sometimes buy some at the store. I'm not currently subscribed to any. But like when I'm going to travel, right? I might go get a few, have something to read on the plane. That's something to flip through. But I never end up doing it. Like I literally have a stack of magazines in my room that's probably years old. And I'm like, oh, eventually I'm going to actually go through these. But I used to religiously read a few of them. Yeah, so did I. And actually, part of the reason that I chose this topic was, A, because I came across it in home ec in terms of, like, women's magazines and trying to, like, educate women on household habits and things like that. And then I was like, I still have a bunch of the HGTV magazines up in my office that I don't think I've ever actually gotten through. And I used to look at those pretty religiously. But then when we moved, I stacked up all the ones that I had never read and put them in a basket. And there they sit. And I have meant to resubscribe because I genuinely do like sitting and flipping through a magazine, but it's just never like the top of my to-do list. Right. And now that I have a Kindle, I'm usually halfway through some book and that I'm trying to finish because <laughs> I like reading. I just, yes. I don't make the time for it like I should. I feel like I go in waves. Like for a month, I'll be like a really steady reader. I'll make time every night, especially if I've got a trip or something planned. And then I'll go off a month and on a month. And I struggle with like, if I'm in a good series or something, I do better than like a one-off book. Because then I do the book and then I kind of fall short. And now I realize that we're talking about books. But in any case. Back to magazines. Back to magazines. So let's talk about magazines. We'll give a little definition and then we'll dive into the history. So a magazine is a periodical publication generally published on a regular schedule, often weekly or monthly containing a variety of content. They are generally financed by advertising, by a purchase price, or by prepaid subscriptions, or a combination of the three. Okay. So it's important to note here that you may have also heard of something called a journal, which is in the same vein, and really the biggest difference that I can identify in an actual journal, meaning like, A scientific journal or an educational journal is that a journal has continuous page numbers throughout the issue throughout a year while a magazine starts over from one in every issue. So it's kind of like each issue is independent for a magazine where a journal is more of a continuous interest piece. Interesting, because I'm actually published in a scientific journal and I did not know that fact about the pages. Yes. So I... They gave a couple examples, mostly in the scientific or historical realms, but I didn't know that either. So that's kind of a fun fact, but I was curious, what is, what validates being a journal versus a magazine? So there's also some like P 
peer-reviewed and like authority behind journals as opposed to magazines, but that is one of the biggest differentiators in their actual titles. Okay, yeah, because I knew that like for the journals, it was kind of more of a series, maybe let's say for each year, but I, yeah, I guess I didn't realize that about the page numbers. All right, very interesting. That was a fun fact. Right out of the gate. Super titillating fact. Anywho, I'm going to butcher this next part, so I'm just preparing everyone in advance. But the word magazine is derived from the Middle French of magazine, magazine, meaning warehouse, depot, or store, which comes from the Italian magazino, or Arabic magazine, or the plural for magazan, meaning storehouse. So in its original sense, the word magazine refers to a storage space or device. In this case, for the publication, it refers to a collection of written articles. All right. It's a place to store your articles. It's the place to store your articles. So the last little tidbit of information I'll give before we dive into the history is that there are three types of general magazines, and we'll dive in a little bit more as we go forward, but the three general types are general interest, special interest, and professional magazines. So general interest is going to be like your widely read people's celebrities, gossip, kind of like covering the gamut, where special interest is going to be like car lovers or history or HGTV, something that's more niche. And then professional magazines obviously is more of a trade publication, something that's specific to an industry. So when you said there's going to be three types of magazines, I was thinking, um, Amy, there's probably thousands of types of magazines, but I get it now. I get it now. There are thousands of types of magazines, yeah. There are three categories that are generally recognized. Got it. Makes more sense. Okay. So let's hop into the history. The earliest example of the magazine, and I apologize in advance because this can be so butchered, was the Herbaculith Monith Undergarten. Oh, it's so bad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> A literary and philosophy magazine, which was launched in 1663 in Germany. And then the Gentleman's Magazine was first published in 1731 in London and was the first general interest magazine. Wow, that's really far back. Yeah, so those are the two that are noted as like the first. They had a bunch of history on different countries and kind of where different Religions and politics came into play in publishing. I did pull mostly American history, but it was interesting. So if you have any interest, I would go look up some of the other countries. It was fascinating to read. But we're going to start with colonial America. Okay. So in colonial America, publishing was super expensive. So paper and printer's inks were taxed as imported goods, and their quality was inconsistent. And there were tariffs, and the road system hindered distribution. So a lot of things stacking up against magazines. During this time, many magazines were launched, but most ended up failing after just a couple of issues. One of the most notable at the time was published by Ben Franklin. He is credited with envisioning one of the first magazine in 1741, the General Magazine and Historical Chronicle. Others that were noted as historically relevant were the Pennsylvania Magazine, edited by Thomas Paine, which only ran for a short time, but was influential during the Revolutionary War, with the final issue containing the text of the Declaration of Independence. Ooh, very cool. 
Thank you. I know that took me eight times to say, and the listeners will probably not get to hear all those gems, but that is why I wanted to share because I thought that's actually pretty influential. It's very cool. In the late 19th century, monthly magazines had gained popularity. There were a lot more general interest magazines, and they began to contain news, vignettes, poems, history, political events, and social discussions. So unlike publications before that were more newspaper-esque, these were more of a monthly record of current events along with entertaining stories and pictures. The first periodicals to branch out from the news were Harper's and The Atlantic, which were both focused on the arts, and both are still in print today. So is Harper's Harper's Bazaar? Correct. Ooh, okay, okay. Harper's was a cultural magazine, and The Atlantic focused mainly on world events. So Harper's held famous works such as early publications of Moby Dick or famous events such as laying the world's first trans-athletic, trans-athletic, <laughs> trans-Atlantic telegraph cable. However, most of its early news came from British events, so it was a little bit of a carryover. But both Harper's and The Atlantic are still published today. Yes, very cool. So moving on, as we look at the Progressive Era, which covered 1890 to 1920, mass circulation of magazines became much more common. So we start to see a really big pickup in the types of magazines, the audiences they're targeting, all of that. Some of the circulations at this time had hundreds of thousands of subscribers, with even a few passing the million mark in 1920. Wow. Okay. So it's the first time that we really start to see mass media. And because of the rapid expansion of national advertising, the cover price also fell sharply to about 10 cents, making it more accessible. So because there are more advertisers wanting to be in publications, it was more affordable for readers, which were then also influenced by the advertisers. And I'm assuming as printing became easier and easier, that really helped as well. Correct. So the cost of goods went down, the access to it became more widespread distribution got easier because now we really have, you know, better traffic patterns and distribution channels than when they originally came out. However, with the increase in advertising also came an increase in corruption. So it was heavily noted that politics, local government, and big business were influential in what was written and distributed. So there were a lot of journalists who wrote for popular magazines to expose social and political sins and shortcomings while others were being influenced by them. So you might have heard of investigative journalism or political corruption being exposed in these senses. So muckracking magazines, notably McClure's, took on a corporate monopolies and crooked political machines while raising public awareness of chronic urban poverty, unsafe working conditions, social issues, and child labor. So we saw kind of magazines starting to take this approach to unveiling political drama, for lack of a better word, while others were being swayed to write very specific type stories. Interesting. So all this kind of garbage has been going on for a very long time. For a very long time, yeah. You win some, you lose some. Apparently, you just keep going sometimes. Yeah. So as we look at the 21st century, we kind of see a decline in publications. So according to the Research Department of Statista, did I say it right? You're close enough. Statista. Like like statistics, Statista. 
Statista. Yeah. Anyway, we saw more closures of magazine in 2009 than those being published. So we saw a decrease in magazine publications in the 2000s. We saw a little bit of an uptick and then kind of stabilizing of that. We did see a big increase in new publications that were regional interest or really niche interest. So a lot of them looking at things like craft beer or home design or wine enthusiast, where we really start getting into niche publications in the 21st century. Okay. I have a question. I'm not sure if you're going to have an answer. All these celebrities who come out with their own magazine, like, oh, Oprah's magazine, she's the first one I can think of. And then, you know, now there's Magnolia and it's Joanna Gaines and Drew Barrymore just came out with one. Would that be considered like a niche market because it's them or not so much? I would guess they're probably more special interest, right? Because they're talking to a specific group of people about their kind of beliefs. But I guess I'm not 100% sure on that. Oh, I think you're right. I think that makes more sense category-wise. So I think they probably fall into those. I would I would guess because they're mostly subscriber-based that they probably do focus heavily on like what that readership would want. Right. That makes sense. Okay. Sorry. Carry on. In that same vein, women tend to be the biggest consumers of magazine content. And there was even a whole section talking about the shift in women's magazines. So whereas magazines, like a lot of other things, were originally started to inform gentlemen of news and different topics, women's magazines had really started to see a shift in the way that women consumed culture. So there was a note that the seven sisters of American women's magazines are Ladies Home Journal, Good Housekeeping, McCall's, Women's Day, Red Book, Family Circle, and Better Home and Gardens, which are some of the exclusively female audience reading, emphasizing traditional gender roles in the 19th century. Harper's Bazaar was the first to focus exclusively on couture fashion and fashion accessories and textiles, with didactic content on housekeeping that may have increased its appeal for the magazine to broader audience of women and men concerned about the frivolity of a fashion magazine. So we really start to see a shift in women's publications, how they're being spoken to, and then people kind of wanting to reject that norm. So I thought it was interesting that it was like a whole specific women's section. They grouped a lot of the women's interests into groupings. So there was fashion, religion, which was surprising to me, parenting, celebrity and human interest slash gossip, and then professional magazines. So those are the kind of buckets that they see women reading into, which feels a little bit meh, because like, yeah, I mean, but if you already talk about the three magazine categories, there's just a little bit more. So yeah, yeah, not shocking. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about distribution. So there's a couple different ways that magazines are distributed. So you can get them in the mail, on newsstands, bookstores, other vendors, all of that jazz. Now, with the increase of social media and the internet, you can also obviously access them via your social media channels, through your email, through news aggregators, all of the different places that you might now find published content you can access it online as well. So you could have a subscription to the print issue, but also get special articles through your online service, which I still think is pretty cool. I don't 
currently do that, but I do always get frustrated when it's like, you've got one article left to read. And then I'm like, do I like this magazine enough to like buy an online issue? So far, no, but maybe. Right. Well, and I think some of them, you can just subscribe to the online issues. And, you know, if you have one of those e-readers that's like, you know, all the color pages and stuff, like the fancy ones, you can pretend and flip the pages. Yeah. Well, and I like to read, like, the news. I like to read industry articles. I like to read quick stories. I even read, like, some of the gossip things. But I usually read, like, an article more than I would do, like, an entire issue of Glamour on my phone or something. Right. Yeah. Well, and even when I used to subscribe to those types of magazines, there was always... Because, you know, how it was always the same basic format and then the content was just different. You always have your favorite sections. Sometimes I was like, oh, yeah, I'll read the advice. And sometimes I was like, nah, I don't feel like reading this. Or whatever celebrity was being interviewed, sometimes I read it if that person interests me. Sometimes I didn't. But, you know, I always read the, you know, whatever section. Yeah. When I feel like when we were growing up, magazines were also a way to like learn about celebrities or learn about what was happening in kind of like your age range. And now you're doing that on social media. So they had to find a way to stay relevant. It just makes it harder to like capture or consistent readership. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. For sure. So anyway, back to distribution. There's a lot of ways that magazines get out there, but there are three that are kind of noted for traditional circulation. So one being paid circulation. So this is where readers are paying a price for either a per issue or a subscription of the magazine. And it can be an annual fee or a monthly fee, but essentially you're paying either per issue or as an annual grouping to get that publication. Second is non-paid circulation, where this is more of like your freely distributed magazines. So think about you can pick them up on the street dispensers or you can grab one from a coffee shop. So those are primarily financed through the advertisement within them. And then controlled circulation is kind of a hybrid of both. So they may go to specific industry leaders or they may go to lists of people who are influential in that market, but it wouldn't just be broadly distributed. So you're thinking more of like, I'm a financial magazine, I'm going to send it to banks and institutions, CEOs, but I'm not going to just like mail it to Allie on the street. Okay, rude, but point understood. Right. Well, you never know, Al. You could be their target audience. You could get a controlled circulation issue. It just may not be on, like, zoology. It just may not be that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Although I do feel like a zoology magazine would be so fun. I think so, too. And I also feel like, now that I'm thinking about all the fun magazines, we had, like, Highlights and National Geographic and all of the, like... And zoo books. Do you remember? Yes! That's what I was just thinking. I was going to ask you what they were called. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk some numbers. So currently there are 7,416 magazines in print right now. Wow, okay. Well, I shouldn't say right now. As of 2020, there were 7,416 publications, um, which was up from 7,357 in 2019. Like I mentioned previously, in 2002, there was... 5,340, so pretty big difference between 2002 and now, but there was the biggest drop in 2005, and then it came back up to the number that I previously stated in 2020. So it kind of steadily rose after that dip. Okay. 
pretty stable right now. There's not a huge leap every year, just a couple, either 100 or so or less that I could see in the data. What I thought was interesting is the industry cost for making magazines is about $18.9 billion. So that's what magazine publishers are putting out. And the industry really only brings in $23.92 billion, which means they're really not earning. I mean, it's still billion. So we're talking about several billions in difference, but right. not a huge gap between the cost and the earning. Yeah, that does feel like a very tight margin compared to other industries. Right, where it's like beauty brands that are like gazillions of billions of dollars. Okay, so consumption data. So the fastest growing genre is special interest, which we've already talked about. There are about 221.9 million magazine readers in the U.S. right now with a mean annual spend of $22.11 per consumer, meaning that you're either paying a subscription for that amount or you're purchasing that equivalent in magazines each year. It's definitely easier if there's a magazine you like to subscribe and cost less. Yes. Well, and you always get those, like, for $22, you can get 12 issues or whatever. Those, like, promotion things, that's usually where I become a sucker. Because I'm like, $22 is so affordable. Right. And you go to the store, and they're like, $10 a piece, so I might as well get 12. Yep. You might as well just get them and enjoy them all year or stack them up in a box like you and I have each done. Exactly. All right, let's talk about the most commonly read magazines. I think you're going to thoroughly enjoy this list. There's some um, unintentional callbacks to some of our other episodes. So love it. the number one most circulated magazine is AARP, the magazine. (laughs) All right. Get it, ARP. Which is 23 million readers and some change. Number two is the AARP Bulletin which is 22 million readers and some change. Oh, wow. Number three is Costco Connection. Oh, my God. I love Costco so much. So do I. That has 12,851,000 readers. Wow. Yep. Number four is Better Homes and Gardens, which felt very, like, traditional to me. I was not expecting AARP, so Better Homes and Gardens balanced that out for me a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I was not expecting AARP or Costco, but get it. Better Homes and Garden has about 7 million and some change readers. Number five is a magazine called Game Informer. I'm going to go on on a branch and say it's video games. It's got 6,353,075 readers. I feel like that's a fair guess. Guess what number six is, Al? Number six. It would be... Be a reference to one of our very recent episodes that you did. Triple A something? Yeah, Triple A Living. Oh, I didn't know they had a magazine. They do, and it has 4,898,168 readers. Wow. So to wrap up the list, number seven is Good Housekeeping with 4 million, number eight, Family Circle with 4 million. Number nine, People Magazine with 3 million. And number 10 is Women's Day with 3 million. So as we come to a close, we're going to do some fun facts for magazines. There are a few very iconic covers, one of them being National Geographic featuring an Afghan girl in June 1985. And the other being People Magazine's tribute to Who in 1997. 1997. I don't know. Princess Diana. 
Oh, okay. All right, let's do some fast fun facts and we'll call it a day. So Cosmopolitan was originally published in 1886 in the U.S. as a family magazine titled Cosmopolitan, and it later evolved into the literary magazine it is now, becoming a women's magazine officially in 1965. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I would never guess that because Cosmopolitan seems so, like, classically women magazine to me, but it apparently was a family magazine. Yeah. Okay. The first issue of Vogue was published in 1892 as a weekly Men of Affairs magazine and cost only 10 cents. It later became bi-weekly and eventually became monthly in 1973, focused on fashion. All right, then. Glamour was originally introduced in 1939 as Glamour of Hollywood. It eventually changed its name to Glamour in 1943 with a tagline that read, For the girl with a job. Oh, okay, then, Glamour. Seventeen magazine, which I mentioned before, became the first American magazine created for teens when it was founded in 1944. Apparently, Sylvia Plath submitted nearly 50 pieces before her first short story was published in the magazine in 1950. Oh, wow. That's a fun fact. Yeah. Fortune is regarded for inventing photojournalism, but apparently as a result of increasing print costs, went through a redesign in 1948 and became the business magazine it's known today, which I would have not guessed for Fortune. No, guess not. And then the last fun fact to wrap up our conversation on magazines is Saturday is apparently the best day of the week for magazine newsstand sales, coming in second to Sunday only during July. The slowest month for sales overall tends to be November. Hmm. Which is surprising because you think people would be like looking for some fresh recipes, maybe mix up their Thanksgiving meals. Right? Just keep things fresh. Anyway, those are my fun facts. Thanks for walking down the history of magazines with me. I was going to say walking down history magazine lane. I don't think that's a real thing, but we're going with it. I hope everyone picks up their next favorite magazine at a newsstand nearby. But thanks for letting me talk at you. Very interesting. All right. Do with that what you will. If you have any comments, corrections, or suggestions, you can email us at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. Spell out all the words. It's also our Facebook, website, and Instagram. You can find us there. Talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24 Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bambino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified of future episodes.